Specialty Story, session number 195. Whether you are a pre-med or a medical student, you've answered the calling to become a physician. Soon you'll have to start deciding what type of medicine you'll want to practice. This podcast will tell you the stories of specialists from every field to give you the information to make sure you make the most informed decision possible when it comes to choosing your specialty. Now, welcome to Specialty Stories. My name is Dr. Ryan Gray, your host here every week, where I get to have amazing conversations with physicians to help you understand what specialties are out there, what career could lie ahead of you. This week is no different. I'm talking to Dr. Tonya Singh, an adult cardiologist, talking about her journey to cardiology, what she loves about it, what she doesn't like about it, and advice for you, the potential future cardiologist. We start the conversation by talking about how Dr. Singh first became interested in cardiology. So uh, when I was 15, my dad had um, bypass surgery. So he was this um, very quote-unquote fit individual who was um, a brigadier in the army. He was very active. And on one of our um, road trips, um, he, we had some trouble with our car and he decided to get out and push the car. And after that, he had a syncopal event mm. um, at the side of the road. Um, and I was 15 back then, so I wasn't really sure exactly what happened. But anyway, he went and got some medical checkups after that. It turned out that he had severe three-vessel coronary artery disease. And um, he was 47, and he had three-vessel bypass at that time. So I thought it was really um, interesting to me, like how his doctors were able to take something that was so severe and bad and fix it and have him come back to us as the person he was before um, and, and, and do really well. He's now 80. So, you know, it's, it's, uh, just great to have, um, that to see that. And it kind of really inspired me to get really interested in cardiology as, you know, something that can, you know, lead to death or can lead to a long, happy life and the things that the doctors can do to make that happen. Yeah. As, as you went through your medical school journey, obviously 15, you still have a long road ahead of you. Were there any other specialties as you're going through medical school, as you're going through your internal medicine training that you were like, well, maybe, maybe GI or maybe something else uh, is interesting to me more than cardiology? So I would say that during medical school, I really like the surgical specialties. I do like using my hands. I'm interested in you know, surgery. Um, I had great rota- surgical rotations um, and got to be involved in some surgery. But then it wasn't still as interesting physiologically. And also, I also missed the fact that we did the surgery, we saw the patient after surgery, and then we never saw the patient again. So I liked that whole longevity of knowing what happened to the patient 10 years later. Mm-hmm. Um, and I felt that was kind of missing in the surgical specialties, um, especially the ones that I was exposed to as, as a medical student. Yeah. Um, I was interested in nephrology, but then I ended up marrying a nephrologist. <laughs> and so I don't think it's good to have two nephrologists in one house. Uh, and so um, I thought that was also very interesting physiologically and, you know, um, complex um, um, science, but also complicated patients, um, you know, and you could make great a great difference in their lives long term by taking good care of them. So yeah. that was something that I thought for maybe about a couple of months. Yeah. But that was about it. But then, <laughs> um, you know, my cardiology rotations really reinforced the fact that I, I loved cardiology. I liked the variety in cardiology. And I was quite sure by the end of my internal medicine rotation that that was what I wanted to do. Yeah. 
What are the biggest myths or misconceptions about cardiology that you encounter, whether it's medical students or residents? I think um, a lot of medical students and residents seem to think of cardiology as all like terrible work-life balance, as um, a specialty where there's really um, hours and hours of work and, and constant call, um, and also um, just a very macho kind of culture. Um, and I can speak to that as a woman in cardiology because, you know, there's only 13% of cardiologists are women right now. So wow. um, we're, we're a minority. But I think that that is actually not so true anymore. As more and more women enter cardiology, things are changing. And also cardiology is really broad. I mean, there's so many different types of cardiology you can practice. So I'm kind of an old-fashioned cardiologist. I'm one of those people who, like, see their patients, do their angiograms, read their stress tests, do their echoes, do their TEEs. Uh, but there are more and more cardiologists who are kind of becoming more specialized into either only doing imaging or only doing interventions or becoming structuralists or doing prevention or managing lipids. So there's such a wide variety. And depending on what really interests you and what is um, good for your how you want to spend your life, I mean, there are so many choices within cardiology. So cardiology is no longer that monolith of you're going in for, you know, um, STEMIs every night and you're staying in the hospital till 9 p.m. every night. So that's no longer true. So I think that I would really like to bust that myth, saying you can have wonderful work-life balance in cardiology, depending on the path you choose based on your interests. Yeah. Talk about um, just as an adult cardiologist, the, the types of patients that you're treating day in and day out. So I see patients all the way from 18, and my oldest patient is 103. Wow. Um, and I see a broad spectrum of, of problems, starting from, you know, um, leftover congenital heart disease issues that show up in my young patients that when they should come see me, I see a lot of pregnant women with cardiac um, issues. I see um, some people who are interested in prevention who want to talk about their family history and want to make um, adjustments earlier in their lives. Um, and I see the usual, what we consider bread and butter of cardiology, people with hypertension, diabetes, hyperlipidemia, coronary artery disease, um, congestive heart failure, atrial fibrillation. Um, and then as we you know, kind of get into the geriatric population, kind of the failing hearts, the um, you know, just general deconditioning, um, even in the absence of you know, florid heart failure, um, and just dealing with people throughout their, the spectrum of their lives. Um, so it, it, it is a very, every patient is different. Every, uh, so it's a, it's a broad variety of patients. And uh, I'm very fortunate to work in a practice where I have access. I work with 14 men and I have partners who are EP, interventionists. So if I need anything for my patients, I can just pick up the phone, call my partner, deliberate that particular issue with them, but then still be able to follow that patient, which the patients really like, you know, throughout that whole um, years of their, their life. I've been in practice for 18 years now and I have many patients that I've seen for the last 18 years who I know well, I know their families. So, I, that, so the patients could be any of those uh, disease processes. Yeah. And, and just for clarification for someone listening who doesn't know, EP is a electrophysiologist, the ones that go in and zap those uh, hotspots for, uh, for um, I, I can't think of the word off my head. What's the, what's Arrhythmias, that word? Yes. Arrhythmias. Yes. Arrhythmias, <laughs> yes. 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 No, I, I completely agree. We, we, we tease about, you know, being divided into electricians and plumbers. Yeah. Um, so, you know, the electricians uh, focus on the arrhythmias and the plumbers focus on all the blood flow problems. 
Um, and I like to think of myself as somebody who does most of that, but then for specialized stuff, refers up um, for anything else they need. Yeah. Because there's such a wide variety of, of patient ages and, and patient diseases and, and physiologies that you're treating or pathophysiologies that you're treating, what, what sorts of traits do you think a, a good cardiologist has? So I think a good cardiologist should be willing to listen to their patients. You have to have the patients to take a good history um, from your patients and do a good physical exam. I think you have to be detail-oriented. Um, and you have to be patient to kind of tease some of those details out from your patients um, that make a difference long-term. Um, I also think you have to be decisive because you sometimes have to make major decisions, whether you want to send somebody to valve surgery or, or bypass surgery or you know, those are major life-changing events for the patient. So you have to be a confident kind of somebody who can make a decision relatively fast. Um, and also, I think you have to be um, empathetic because, you know, our patients have a lot of psychological issues associated with all this, like, physical stress and physical problems they have um, and be able to kind of work with that as well. So I think having those three traits will make you a good cardiologist. Yeah. When when people are coming to you, are they coming for a diagnosis? Are they coming for definitive treatment? What what are they coming to you for as a as a new patient? I, I think both. So sometimes I will see new patients who will come to me with symptoms that have not been um, figured out yet. You know, they may have chest pain or shortness of breath or palpitations. And our job is to kind of figure out whether these are um, concerning symptoms, whether they're associated with, you know, a heart issue or they're not. But I also see a lot of patients who have known coronary artery disease, a cardiomyopathy, follow patients with pacemakers and defibrillators. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a mix of things. Um, you know, I see a patient maybe given a cardiac arrest in the hospital and I did their angiogram and we followed them. And then I'll see them in the office um, afterwards. So it, it just depends. Um, every day is different. Yeah. What what does a typical day or a typical week look like for you? So a typical day is I, I'm an early morning person, so I like to start my day early. Um, I usually will be in the hospital by about seven. I will schedule a procedure usually first thing in the morning because I think it's more convenient for the patient. Also, since most of them have to fast for our procedures, um, I'll do a tea or a cath in the morning. Um, I will round in the hospital on my patients that have been that have, are in there for a variety of reasons. And then usually I have office hours, um, and that could be like a full day of office or a half day of office, just depending on the day of the week. Um, I usually try to stay within one hospital, so I don't travel between hospitals very often. Um, but yeah, so it's, it's a mix of uh, hospital rounds, office patients, um, and procedures. For the student who is interested in the procedure-based aspect of cardiology, someone who likes to work with their hands like like you did or do... And they're not sure of their abilities to to do that, to work with their hands. Maybe they, they like the idea of it, but in practice, they're not so sure they're capable. Is that something that is taught along the way during during residency and fellowship um, to, to do the procedures necessary? Is that something you think people should probably have some baseline level of skill coming in? You know, they do teach you how to do all these procedures throughout residency and fellowship. And I have to say that um, I've known a lot of residents and fellows, a lot of them kind of self-select into the kind of procedures they want to do. So they either love doing a TEE or doing a heart cath or they hate it. There's very few people who are kind of ambivalent about it. 
Um, you know, it's something that that makes them that they enjoy doing or they're just like they have to do this because it's part of their training. Um, so I think that there is adequate uh, time during fellowship to make that decision. So I don't think that it's necessary to make that decision before you start fellowship. I think it's always interesting when you're um, a medical student or a resident to go in and see what people are doing. So, you know, see if that is of interest to you. So when I have a medical student who's rounding with me, I will take them into the cath lab with me. I will have them put on lead and wear gloves and stand next to me and look at what exactly what we're doing. So if, you know, if the sight of blood makes you sick or, you know, what we are doing makes no sense to you or seems like really stressful, then that just may be a clue that that may not be the best thing for you. Yeah. What does call look like for you? Call is not bad right now. When I started my practice, we were a much smaller practice. So I was on call every third weekend. Now I'm on call every fifth weekend. So really not bad. Um, Night call is about once a week. Um, Because I am not an interventionist, I don't have to go into the hospital unless I choose to go check on a patient. Uh, But my interventional colleagues are on call about one in seven. So every seventh night, they may be called in for a STEMI. So it's, I think because of the size of our practice, it's not a very busy call. Yeah. Do you feel like as a cardiologist, you have enough time for, for life outside of the hospital and clinic? Absolutely. So I feel like I've worked really hard to make that happen. I do. Ha- I am married and I do have two kids. Um, I had one child during residency and one child during fellowship. Um, so that was a busy time. But I have always... Um, and my husband, um, we've always made an effort to get as much help as we need um, to be able to do the things that we want to do. So, you know, both our careers are important to us. Um, and we had that discussion. And so we've always had more help than some people think we need at home, uh, you know, to get uh, our kids around or to get meals cooked or to get laundry done so that uh, we could not get into fights about those things, but like focus on and, and spend the time that we then spend together is, you know, spent on things that we enjoy doing as a family, mm. traveling, spending time with our kids. Um, so I, I think, yes, um, it is an active process. Um, this is something I do talk about a lot is you have, you have only set so much time in your day and you really have to prioritize what is truly important to you. And, and I think as, if you have a family, then you and your partner truly have to prioritize how you want to take care of things and do what is best for your family. Yeah. So I've always worked full time and so has my husband. So uh, we did, when our kids were young, have a lot of help. Now our kids are older, we have less help. But, you know, it is certainly something that we need. And I think that people should be willing to get, because I, I always tell them getting help is cheaper than getting therapy getting divorced <laughs> yeah, that's that is true therapy for yourself and for your kids in the future as well kids yes yes oh. or getting a divorce which is yes. also very expensive so there you know um if you can get help get help yes love it love it what does the the path to become a cardiologist look like four years of medical school obviously typically and then and then what and then uh, internal medicine residency um, three years, and then uh, you apply for cardiology fellowship. And general cardiology fellowship is uh, most places either three years or four years, depending on the program. Um, following which, you could do either a year of um, interventional, a year of uh, you know heart failure. You could do a one or two years of e- of electrophysiology. Um, you could do a year of cardio oncology. Um, you could do um, so. There's a variety of subspecialty training that you can do after. Um, you're done with your cardiology fellowship um, and a structural heart disease fellowship. 
So that's about, so I would say seven, seven years minimum or six years minimum after medical school, three years of internal medicine, three years of cardiology would be the minimum time that you would spend getting to be qualified as a cardiologist. Cardiology is one of the longer fellowships out there post internal medicine. Has there been any discussion just to make it its own residency? Yes, we have had multiple discussions about that. Um, and I think that is one of the reasons why many women sometimes choose not to go into cardiology is, is because the path seems more lo- much longer. Yeah. So there has been talk about maybe doing a two-year internal medicine residency and then getting into cardiology as a three-year fellowship. So doing a five-year combined program like vascular surgery does. Yeah. Uh, but really, it's still all talk. So. Yeah. For now, it's still six years minimum. <laughs> Unfortunately, internal medicine residents are the the heartbeat of a hospital, so I'm sure they don't want to give up that labor force. Unfortunately, no. okay, interesting. Um, you, you mentioned some of the opportunities to subspecialize, which is great for the osteopathic student listening to this. What do you think they need to do to potentially overcome any sort of negative bias out there? I don't feel like there is as much negative bias as people seem to think. I do work with a bunch of osteopathic medical students because the hospital that I work at has an affiliation with an osteopathic school. Mm. So um, two of my own medical students, two girls that I had, are are both cardiology fellows now. Um, So I don't think that there is any, I think it's just a perception sometimes. I would encourage the osteopathic students to, if that's what they want to do, to be vocal about it early, to look for opportunities early in residency to interact with possible mentors and sponsors um, within cardiology and to you know see if they can get engaged in research um, early uh, with with them. Um, it really doesn't matter what subject you do your research in. The fact that you have knowledge of research, that you've put the effort in, that you've been able to create a finished product um, is what I tell my students. You know, it doesn't have to be something that has to be published in circulation. It has to be just something that shows rigor and effort. Um, and having a sponsor or mentor who is familiar with that can, you know, help you get on a project that that will go to fruition. Um, and like I said, speaking um, and having your mentor speak to other cardiology programs where you're applying, because I have picked up the phone and called people for them because, you know, I've worked with them. They're great students. Um, and having somebody do that is beyond just your program director yeah. um, may also be a helpful thing. Nice. For the future primary care physician listening to this, what do you wish they knew about what you're doing as a cardiologist day in and day out to to help them take care of their patients and to help you as a cardiologist? I think, you know, cardiology is really kind of now encroaching into internal medicine a lot with the new, um, you know, cardio diabetes issues or the, the new diabetic drugs, the SGLD2s and the GLP1s. There is so much cross between diabetes and heart disease and you know, a couple of years ago when we started using all those drugs, we were always calling our primaries to say, hey, you know, I want to start this because it's great for their heart, but I know you're managing their diabetes. Um, so I think that just um, getting familiar with the cross-section between all these other issues that the primary, that primary care, you know, take fantastic care of hypertension and diabetes and hyperlipidemia, but then there are so many new advanced therapies um, that they may not be comfortable with using. Like I was not comfortable using diabetes drugs till I became comfortable using them. So I think just um, collaboration and talking with your cardiologists and having an open, I mean, I, I speak with my primary care physicians who refer to me all the time. Um, and I always share with them why I want to do something and why they think, why I think it's a good idea and, and try to get their buy-in. So I think that thinking of it as a collaboration, um, for the patient, um, I think goes a long way. 
also your cardiologist wants to help your patient just as much as you do. So I think that, you know, getting to know your patient's cardiologist, just like the cardiologist try to get to know you, um, just really makes for uh, fantastic care for our patients. Yeah. Because they are complex people and, and they need care that's complicated sometimes. Yeah. Speaking of that collaboration, what other specialties do you as a cardiologist work the, the most closely with? I would say the three most close specialties would be, um, well, maybe four. So cardiothoracic surgery, because we send them our patients who need, you know, surgery for a variety of reasons. Um, nephrology, because a lot of our patients have chronic kidney disease. Um, endocrine, because many of them are diabetic. And then I think GI, because now we are using so many anticoagulants for our patients that we are seeing way higher incidence of GI bleeds than we ever used to. Mm. So I think that having that, that seems to be somebody that I've talked to more in the last 10 years than I did the previous 10 years. So that seems to be another, you know, um, interaction that we need to kind of focus on uh, more. So I would say those four subspecialties are probably the ones that we interact with the most. Do you see from from an uh, American diet standpoint, American um, uh, activity standpoint, do you see heart disease slowing down anytime soon? No, I'm really sad to say that, but I, I don't. You know, I think that we are still not quite where we need to be as a society in working on all those determinants for heart disease. Um, I would say that obesity has gone up. Um, I see younger and younger patients with hypertension, diabetes, where we have BMIs over 45. Um, and all of those um, have actually gone up in my 18 years of practice rather than gone down. So just in my little world, uh, beyond just the statistical significance, I would say that I am unfortunately not seeing the improvement that I would hope um, to see. And I think that this is something that really would need some major legislation and change in culture before we'll see a change in that. Because actually, even according to these statistics, heart disease has gone up. So we saw a big drop from the 1980s and 90s down into the um, mid-2000, like till about 2015. But according to the AHA data, heart disease in men and women both is going back up again. So that's unfortunate. Yeah. yeah. What do you know now that you wish you knew before going into cardiology? I wish I'd know how much fun it would be. I knew I would like it, but I have really loved it. And I have, um, I wish I had known that they would have so many new treatments. I mean, they were barely doing stents when I started as a fellow. And now, you know, we're doing TAVRs, uh, you know, um, basically aortic valve replacements through, through legs and mitral valve replacements through legs without opening patients' chests and all these um, new, uh, you know, cardiac resynchronization devices, all those patients' heart failure that, you know, didn't, couldn't survive are now, getting better with just medication. I mean, it is so great to be practicing. This is a fantastic time in, in, you know, the history of cardiology to be practicing cardiology because we have so many choices that we can offer our patients um, that can make them better, you know? So it is, um, I, like I said, I knew I would like it, but I didn't really even think about how much I would like it. Yeah. So I, I, I love practicing cardiology every day. <laughs> well, that's, that's the next question is what do you, what do you like the most about it? I like the variety. I like the fact that I've known my patients for close to 20 years. I like the fact that I've seen them go through ups and downs and improve and spend time at their grandchildren's births and teach their grandkids to drive and, you know, bring me their grandkids' graduation pictures, things that they may not have gotten to see if we hadn't been able to, you know, change their lives. They live good quality of life. So all of that is really gratifying um, to see, you know, half of my office hours are just 
wonderful because, you know, half you have to work on things to get things better, but the other half of these people who are just cruising and they're doing really well and, and they're bringing in all these great events in their lives to share with you. And it is just, it kind of refills your bucket to deal with all the other uh, tough things we do in medicine. Nice. That's that's an important thing to to think about is refilling that bucket. Uh, there, there are some specialties where that bucket never gets refilled and and the burnout rate is is very, very high, unfortunately. What do you like the least? Um, spending time with insurance companies uh, <laughs> because we have so many <laughs> new uh, therapies. Um, and some of them obviously are very expensive. You know, we often have to do peer-to-peer discussions about why somebody needs one of the new PCSK9 drugs or why my patient needs to have, you know, a TAVR or any of those things. You know, just things that I think should be fairly straightforward. We have great data. I think one of the wonderful things about cardiology is we are a very data-driven specialty. We have multiple studies that have built on all the information we have. So usually it's not hard to get to convince them, but it it just is a matter of, it's just another barrier in the care of the patient. Yeah. Um, and that, that, that does not fill my bucket at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that definitely would <laughs> not. It's a drain. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Do you see any major changes coming to this the specialty of cardiology, whether that's new new devices, new therapies, any anything drastic that someone going into the field should be thinking about that that may make or break their decision to to follow cardiology? Well, I think that we are so the to in order to make their decision, I would say you know we are getting new therapies. I mean, there's a new uh, lipid lowering drug coming out that's going to be used twice a year. I mean, that's just so amazing and fantastic. I mean, the compliance issue is gone. You get, you know, great uh, data. There's all these devices we can put into people that can monitor their heart failure, that can we can manage from home. We can take care of their heart failure admissions. The One of the things that is coming down the pipeline are all these bundles that Medicare is now going to bundle every diagnosis into a bundle. And then they're going to try to manage patients in a population way, which I think is going to be very challenging <laughs> yeah. for day-to-day care. DR, DRGs all over again. Yes. And, 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 and in, in a way where the hospital and the physician are tied together, like I'm an independent private, independent private practice. So I'm mm. a very small minority of all cardiologists. That's about 16% of all cardiologists are in independent private practice. But, you know, it, it makes being independent harder because you need to be in that, you know, um, group with the hospital when, when, when you're taking care of things like that. And I think that really it's bad for patients because if, if their regular cardiologist is not in the hospital taking care of them, something is lost. Yeah. So I, I hope that, you know, hope springs eternal. Maybe they'll change their mind about those bundles, but they're not here till 2024. But that could change how cardiology is practiced, along with a lot of other specialties, I'm sure. Yeah. If you had to do it all over again, would you still be a cardiologist? 100%. I can't see myself doing anything else yet. Any last words of wisdom for the student listening to this or resident listening to this, thinking about cardiology as their future career? Yeah, as you go through medical school and through uh, residency, look and see the various parts of cardiology and see what kind of makes you interested. Um, you know, there's there's amazing imaging. There's, you know, um, you can use your hands to do all these complex procedures. Um, or you can just spend time with patients or, or do all three, you know, depending on, on, your, on your interest. Uh, but don't let anybody talk you out of it because they think it's not a good life work-life balance. Because work-life balance, to a great extent, you know, except maybe for some specialties where you're on call every third night or you have to go in, you have a lot of control over that. You can make, you know, 
maybe not during residency and fellowship, but after that you can control how you spend your life. So I, I would not ever use that as a reason not to go into that. And also remember, you know, even if you have children, your children are only home for 18 years. Life is long, your career is long, and then you don't want to give up on something that was your passion and then be resentful every day that you go to work because you didn't pursue it. So pursue your passions. All right, there you have it again, Dr. Tonya Singh, an adult cardiologist talking about her journey to cardiology. Hopefully this was helpful for you to help you understand what is out there, why some cardiologists like their job, why others may not like their job, and so much more. Again, my goal here is to help you understand all of the specialties out there. If you've been waiting for a specialty and we haven't covered it here on the podcast, just shoot an email to team at medicalschoolhq.net and we'll try to get you set up with a guest here on Specialty Stories in the future. Don't forget to also check out eShadowing at eShadowing. Com. Yes, medical schools understand that COVID has limited shadowing opportunities and virtual shadowing is going to be allowed on an application. They can't prevent you from putting it on there anyway, but a lot of schools are going to accept that as shadowing. So go to eshadowing.com today and sign up for our shadowing every week, Mondays at 8 p.m. Eastern Live, and you can watch the replay for the week to get credit for that. Again, that's eshadowing.com. I hope this was helpful for you to understand what's out there for you. Have a great week. We'll see you next time here on Specialty Stories. 